0: All right, Maxwell, whenever you're ready, Leviticus 3 and 4.
1: A uh, second reading from the book of uh, Leviticus uh, 2, verses 3 to 4. Fellowship offerings. When When any of you offer one of your cattle as a fellowship offering, it is to be a bull or a cow without any defects. You shall put your hand on the head of the animal and kill it at the entrance of the tent of the Lord's presence. The Aaronite priests shall throw the blood against all four sides of the altar and present the following parts of the animal as a food offering to the Lord. All the fat on the internal organs, the kidneys and the fat on them, and the best part of the liver. The priests shall burn all this on the altar and, uh, along with all the burnt offerings. The odor of this food offering is pleasing to the Lord. If a sheep or a goat is used as a fellowship offering, it may be a male or female, but it must be without any defects. If you offer a sheep, you shall put your hand on its head and kill it in the front of the tent. The priest shall throw its blood against all four sides of the altar and present the following parts of the animal as a food offering to the Lord. The fat, the entire fat, tail cut off near the backbone, all the fat covering the eternal organs, the kidneys and fat on them, and the best part of the liver. The officiating priest shall burn all this on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If you offer a goat, you shall put your hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent. The priest shall throw its blood against all four sides of the altar and present the, offering, the following parts as a food offering to the Lord. All the fat on the eternal organs, the kidneys and the fat on them, and the best part of the liver. The priest shall burn all this on the altar as a food offering pleasing to the Lord. All the fat belongs to the Lord. No Israelites shall eat any fat or any blood. This is the rule to be kept forever by all Israelites wherever they live. Offerings for Unintentional Sins The Lord commanded Moses to tell the people of Israel that anyone who sinned and broke any of the Lord's commandments without intending to would have to observe the following rules. If it is the high priest who sins and so brings guilt on the people, he shall present a young bull without any defects and sacrifice it to the Lord for his sin. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent, put its hand on its head, and kill it there in the Lord's presence. Then the high priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent. He shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it in front of the sacred curtain seven times. Then he shall put some of the blood on the projections at the corners of the incense altar in the tent. He shall pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar used for burning sacrifices, which is at the entrance of the tent. From this bowl he shall take all the fat, the fat of the internal organs, the kidneys and the fat on them, and the best part of the liver. The priest shall take this fat and burn it on the altar used for the burnt offerings, just as he does with the fat from the animal killed for the fellowship offering. But he shall uh, take its skin, all its flesh, its head, its legs, and its internal organs, including the intestines, carry it all outside the camp to the ritually clean place where the ashes are poured out, and there he shall burn it on a wood fire. It, if it is the whole community of Israel that sins and becomes guilty of breaking one of the Lord's commandments, uh, we're command about tending to, then as soon as the sin becomes known, the community shall bring a young bull as a sin offering. They shall bring it to the tent of the Lord's presence. The leaders of the community shall put it, their hands on its head, and it shall be killed there. The high priest shall take some of the bull's blood into the tent, dip its finger on it, and sparkle it, sprinkle it, in front of the curtain seven times he shall put some of the blood on the projections at the corners of the incense altar inside the tent and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar used for burning sacrifices which is at the entrance of the tent then he shall take all its fat and burn it on the altar he shall do this do the same thing with this bull as he does with the bull for the sin offering and in this way he shall make a sacrifice for the people's sin, and they will be forgiven. Then he shall take the bull outside the camp and burn it, just as he burns the bull offered for his own. This is an offering to take away the sin of the community. If it is a ruler who commit, who sins and becomes guilty of breaking one of the Lord's commands of intending to, then, as soon as the sin is called to his intention, he shall bring as his offering a male goat without any defects. He shall put his hand on its head and kill it on the north side of the altar, where the animals for the burnt offerings are killed. This is an offering to take away sin. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood of the animal, put it on the projections at the corner of the altar, and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. He shall burn all fat on the altar, says he burns the fat until the altar marks. In this way, the priest shall offer the sacrifice for the sin of the ruler, and he will be forgiven. If any of you people sin and become guilty of breaking one of the Lord's commands without intending to, then as soon as the sin is called to your attention, you shall bring as your offering a female goat without any defects. You shall put your hand on its head. And kill it on the north side of the altar, where the animals for the burnt offerings are killed. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood of the animal, put it on the projections of the corners of the altar, and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat removed is removed from the animals killed for the fellowship offerings. And he shall burn it on the altar as an odor pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest shall offer the sacrifice for the man's sin, and he will be forgiven. If you bring a sheep as a sin offering, it must be a female without any defects. You shall put your hand on its head and kill it kill on the north side of the altar, where the animals for the burnt offerings are killed. The priest shall dip it, his finger in the blood of the animal, put it on the projections at the corners of the altar, and pour out the rest of it at the base of the altar. Then you shall remove all its fat, just as the badge is removed from the sheep killed for the fellowship offerings, and you shall burn it on the altar along with the food offerings given to the Lord. In this way, the priest shall offer the sacrifice for your sin, and you will be forgiven.
0: Thank you, Maxwell, so much for reading all of that. The verse we have um, in...
2: Chapter three, right? These communion sacrifices. Um really interesting here, the communion sacrifice is rendered like a gift, a repayment, right? Peace, um, a covenant offering. So this is this is what I'm reading here. The offering may be brought for a vow or a voluntary offering. So um it's a very distinct version of the sacrifice, communion
0: sacrifice and a Thanksgiving offering, right? Very, very specific. Um also going
2: further, like again being very specific, right? So um in verse verses three to five we see the word fat. So only the part of the offering is devoted to God, right? Um as opposed to the burnt offerings. And we saw this um on Tuesday when we read. Um really specific there with the offerings and with the burnt offerings, which is holy burnt, right? The meat is distributed among the offerer and the offerer's party and the priest. Um, going further, in chapter 4, we have the purification offerings. Um, and kind of different specifics, right? For the anointed priest, for the community, for the tribal leader, for the general populace, or, like general public population um to make point out is this atoning for sin right so leviticus um chapter 4 it's really describing these sin offerings right that laws that probably seem strange to us but here the israelites understood that sin affects not only the sinner but also those who lives, who lives sorry, whose lives the sinner touches, right? So this sin causes the debt that must be repaid. The sinner made a guilt offering to atone for that sin, right? And so we as Christians believe, of course, that Jesus came to become, he became the sin offering who took on the debt of the sins of the whole world once for all, right? However, of course, we know we still have an obligation to recognize and confess our sins because they disrupt our relationship with God damage our relationship with another um so we of course as catholics we um formally do this in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation right we were talking about this yesterday we admit our sinfulness we receive god's forgiveness and we reconcile with him and with the church right so it's really important that we take time and, and moments in our lives to thank god and moments of our day really to, to thank god for the greatest gift of jesus and for the gift of Forgiveness of sins, right? So going back to what we were talking about yesterday, according to God, this repentance and reconciliation, if we haven't, we um, can go to confession and uh, be right with our Lord, right? In this relationship and, um, this relationship and the pain, right? <clears throat> so any
0: questions before we move on to the song know when you're ready to somebody. If you don't want to say it in Spanish too, that's fine. Um, nope. Speak up a little bit, um,
3: because you are was always a little. God. Trust in God, whatever was from my knees. Give, he- give ear to my words, O Lord. Give heed in my sighing. Listen to the sound of my cry, my King and Lord. For you, I pray, O Lord, in the you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil will not sojourn with you. The boastful will not stand before your eyes, and you will hate, and you hate all evil doers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord ours the bloodthirsty and deceitful. I, but I, through the, all the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards the holy temple and all of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteous, because of my enemies. Make way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouths. Their hearts are destruction. Their throats are open graves, they flatter with their tongues. Make them bear with guilt, O God. Let them fall in by their own counsels because of their many transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, so that those who love your name may exalt in you, for your, for you bless the righteous, O Lord, you co- you cover them with flavor, as with a shield.
0: Thank you so much, Hema, for reading. Um.
2: Really interesting here we have another psalm of lament, right? So here it's contrasting the security of the house of God, right, with the danger of the company of evildoers. Right. And so this psalmist here is praying that God will hear and grant the protection and door of the temple. And so some verses here really interesting. Um this verse eight but I through the abundance of your mercy, will enter your house, I will bow down toward you, your, toward your holy sanctuary, out of fear of you. And so in Ximena's, um version, mercy, instead of mercy, it said steadfast love, right? in loving kindness. We know that um, those go hand in hand. Really interesting there. Um, And this Hebrew word for mercy, it's said right? And so it, this term can speak to relationship between persons, right? Um, and I think that's also so interesting because, of course, we have this relationship with God that He has His mercy, He said, fast, and also in this verse, I will go down toward your holy sanctuary out of fear of you. Um, and in Humana's version, it said, off So, again, talking about mysticism. That fear, of course, it's not meaning fear like you're scared or afraid, but awe, like utter awe of being in the presence of
0: God, um, completely enthralled, shocked, um, and we see this so much in the Bible, fear of the
2: Lord, right, fear of the Lord, fear of God, But it's not a scared fear, it's not afraid, it's being in utter awe. Um, And so beautiful,
0: of course, we should bow down in the Holy Sanctuary, but out of awe, out of fear of God. Further,
2: and kind of talking about the evildoers, right? And so we have this verse, verse 10. For there is no sincerity in their mouth. Their heart is corrupt. Their throat is an open grave. On their tongue are settled lies, we know I'm sure some of us have um hung out with the wrong crowd, right, and um been a bad influenced on us, uh, or maybe we've been a bad influence on other um you know we all have these experiences in life um we don't make great choices, but either way, of course, right, so it's very important that we are making sure. Um, we're staying with the quote unquote quote, right people right um it says here that their throat right or their speech brings harm to their hearers. so this verse is mentioning four parts of the body um each a source of evil to the innocent um it's really really easy for um other people to influence us, it's important
0: that we separate ourselves and be with people that only lift us up right so before
2: we move on to the gospel is there anything that stood out to anyone anything anyone to highlight any questions um really beautiful psalm we have here i mean oh so beautiful the psalms are right um these laments even though they are laments very beautiful and and really show the emotions, right? We were talking about how the Psalms often do show these emotions. Yes, Luke, I agree. (laughs) Chef's chef's kiss, right? Alright. Going into Luke's Gospel.
0: We have here the preparation of the public ministry, right? Chapter 3. Hey, hey, man, I will I don't want to, I don't go if you were, if you had a question. All right. So chapter three, right, the preaching of John the Baptist.
2: In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Atyria, and Tractariotis and Lenentius was Terek of Albine. During the high priesthood of Annas and Cepheus, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the given of sins, as it was written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? produce good fruits as evidence of your repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you god raised raise up children to abraham from these stones even now as the axe lies at the root of the trees therefore every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire and the crowds asked him what then should we do he said to them in reply Whoever has two tunics should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, And what is it that we should do? He told them, Do not practice extortion, do not falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with their wages now the people were filled with expectation and all were asking in their hearts whether john might be the messiah john asked, john answered them saying i am baptizing you with water but one mightier than i has come i am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire his winning fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor Together gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will borne will, with a questionable fire extorting them in a manner in many other ways he to the people now herod the tetrach who had been censured by him because of the Herodias, the brother's wife and because of all the evil deeds herod had committed
0: added still Another to these by also putting John in prison. So, if you see here in the last uh, two verses,
2: um, Luke is separating the ministry of John the Baptist, right? And this is what I'm reading right here that I found. So, from that of Jesus, right? So, by reporting the imprisonment of John the Baptist before the baptism of Jesus right so Luke really uses this literary device to serve his understanding of the periods of salvation history so with John the Baptist the time of promise the period of Israel comes to an end with the baptism of Jesus and the descent of the holy of, of the holy spirit upon him right in the time of fulfillment the time the period of Jesus begins so we know that the acts of the apostles is Luke's second volume. So in the second volume, Luke will introduce the third epoch, so like era, right? Um, in salvation history and the period of the church. Really interesting so going further we have baptism with baptism of Jesus. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized once praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So we have a number of elements of the baptism of Jesus, right, that are worth highlighting. The so first really is the popularity of John the Baptist. So we can sometimes forget how much of an important figure John was in the early Judaism, in early in early Judaism, right? So we kind of think of him as the forerunner, but in reality, it's if we look at Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, he actually gives more time to John the Baptist in his account of the history of the Jews in the first century than he does to Jesus because John was a very popular figure, right? He was so popular that many Jews thought he himself might be the Christ, right? And so when it says Christ there, the word, we know, Christos, ho Christos, technically, the anointed one, the Messiah, as we know. So there's this expression, um, it, this expectation, rather, going around that maybe John is a guy, maybe this is the one we've been waiting for, maybe he's the long-awaited king of Israel, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah. So John responds to this rumor that's going around, this question that people are asking, by giving kind of a riddle, right, in a prophecy of this mysterious coming one, the one who is to come. So notice he doesn't say the Messiah. He just says, the one who is to come. So this is how we describe him, how he describes him, right? He says, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one mightier than I is coming, and I'm not worthy to even untie the thong of his sandals. So let's pause there. What is John emphasizing here, right? So, first thing, he's emphasizing the strength of the future figure. You think I'm something? The one coming after me is very more powerful, right? That's what he's saying here. Second, he's emphasizing the glory of the one who is to come. When John says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, he's pointing to the role that would have already been played by a servant or a slave, right? When the master would come home from a long journey, the servant would untie his sandals and wash his feet, right? So in the Gospel of John, actually, the disciples recoil when a Jesus starts to wash their feet, right? As we might remember, we might know, because he's taking the role of a slave. So what John is saying here is that he's not even worthy to be his slave, right? So don't confuse me with him is what he's saying. And then the third thing that's interesting is John contrasts his baptism with the baptism of the coming one of the Messiah. He says, you know, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with holy with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Right. So here in the context of Luke and his gospel, and as I mentioned, this is the first volume of his two volume work we have luke and the apostles luke and acts of apostles right so john's words here are particularly potent because they point forward to what jesus himself is going to say at the beginning of the book of acts so in acts one jesus is going to tell the disciples to stay in the city of jerusalem right and to be baptized with the holy ghost and sure enough of course they stay in jerusalem and on the day of pentecost the spirit comes down upon them in tongues and fire which right, so it's really not only in luke's gospel that we get an answer to the question of what john means by being baptized with the holy ghost and fire but he's also talking about the descent of the holy ghost that will come down upon the apostles and so now does he know exactly how all of that is going to play out with and whatnot not necessarily right but luke knows it because he's the author of the gospel and acts right so this here kind of acts like a parallel between the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts here. So Jesus is gonna do something more than John. Right? John of course his baptism is important repits it's an outward sign of repentant hearts of people who read for their forgiveness sin. But Jesus Going to do something more. The Messiah is going to do something more. He's actually going to give the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right? He's going to pour the Holy Ghost upon his people so that the Spirit itself will dwell within them. Right? It will come upon them in tongues of fire. So, really, in the prophecy of Jeremiah 31 will be fulfilled right? when God says, I will write my law in their hearts. Or Ezekiel, we see um, Ezekiel 36, where the prophet Ezekiel says, I will put a new heart and a new spirit within them. So John here is anticipating the gift of the Holy Ghost through the baptism of the Holy Ghost that takes place at Pentecost. So we highlight this because the Gospel of Luke is very focused on the Holy Ghost. And some people. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> some people. I got distracted, there's a bug. Anyways, so, some people will even call this the gospel of the Holy Ghost. So, we're, we have already at the very beginning in the account of Jesus, um, of Jesus' baptism, John's words, and the prominent and the centrality of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and with fire, right? So, that's what the Messiah is going to do. And that's one of the reasons he's greater than John. So that's the prelude, right? So what about the actual account of Jesus' baptism? So let's look at that. So if we look at Luke's account, at the baptism of Jesus, something that we'll notice, it's very brief. He actually doesn't describe the baptism. He just mentions it in passing when Jesus had been baptized. He kind of pushes right through it and focuses on something else that's distinctive to him. He says, when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, And we only get that in the Gospel of Luke, right? That Jesus was praying when he was baptized. So we're keeping our eyes here on the prayer, right? One of Luke's favorite themes throughout his Gospel is going to be the importance of prayer. We're going to see Jesus during his public ministry praying before key moments in his ministry, like the transfiguration or after, like the transfiguration or after his temptations in the desert, right? Being driven out um, by the Holy Ghost and then praying and fasting to prepare for his public ministry. Right? so prayer is very central to Luke's gospel. And he, he alone will tell us um, that it was more important, it was most important, right? It was a very important element of the day and the moment when Jesus was baptized. So another element of Luke's Luke's account too, that's unique to Luke and distinctive, is when Luke describes the descent of the Holy Ghost in a bodily form in the shape of a dove. It's interesting here. The Greek word here is simotiko, right? Literally means body. So according to the body. This has led to a lot of speculation, right? So You know, did the Holy Ghost become incarnate as a bird? You know, what what does that mean, descended in bodily form? Simokitiko
0: el a day, right? In bodily form. So, right now, I'm
2: wanting to emphasize that that's just another clue to the importance of the Holy Ghost, right? So Luke is making clear, very clear right here um, to us that the Holy Ghost descends upon Jesus like a dove. It isn't just a metaphor. In other words, there's this visible manifestation of the Spirit in the form of a dove coming down upon Jesus. So just like in the Acts of Apostles, the Holy Ghost descends in visible forms and so it has fire right so luke's very interested in the visible manifestations of the holy ghost starting with the baptism of jesus by john in the Jordan river and the final element of this of luke's account of the baptism of jesus isn't unique but it's still important so it's this the, the revelation of the three persons of the trinity right so We notice this at the baptism of Jesus, all three persons are present and active. The Father speaks. This is my beloved Son. The Son is revealed through the words of the Father. So Jesus isn't just the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of the Father. And then, finally, the Spirit is manifested in the form of a dove. Right? And so the baptism of Jesus in... um also and we know the feast of the baptism of Jesus is also some in some ways called the feast of the Trinity, right? It's kind of feast of the manifestation of the Trinity. So this first manifestation of the Trinity in salvation history, in a powerful visible way, is that the baptism of Jesus Christ, the beginning of his public ministry. So it's very fitting for us as Catholics, um given the fact that Trinity is a central ministry of the Christian faith, it inaugurates and kind of in the sense of our journey through ordinary time um, by focusing on this Trinitarian ministry, right? Ordinary time, when we are in ordinary time, not right now, but <laughs> in general, right? Um, this, ministry, this ministry of the baptism of Christ, right? Because whenever God acts in salvation history, he always acts as tri-personal god right the father the son and this the holy spirit they don't act separately of one another or at odds with another right they always act together with one in salvation history right as god as the one god in three persons and that mystery
0: is revealed in the baptism of the lord so beautiful there i'm reading the chat now <laughs> Do you want to read the Geon- the
2: genealogy?
0: I wasn't going to read the genealogy. We're just going to go over it. Um but yes, very beautiful there. Um with the mystery Jesus baptism um any questions there? Thank you, Mason. Thank you. As I was saying, we're not going to read the genealogy, um, but some interesting things I want to hit. Right? So, we have here when Jesus began his ministry,
2: he was about 30 years of age. Um, he was a son, as thought of, of, of Joseph. So, really, this footnote really, really good explanation here. Uh, whereas Matthew begins the genealogy of Jesus with Abraham to emphasize Jesus' bond with the people of Israel, Luke's universalism leads him to trace the descent of Jesus beyond Israel to, Abraham, to Adam and beyond that to God. And you see in the last verse, the Son of God, right? To stress again, Jesus' divine sonship. You know that Jesus, as we were talking about on Tuesday, Jesus divine king. Also interesting here, so good. Verse thirty one, the son of Nathan, the son of David, right? So it's in keeping with Jesus' prophetic role in Luke and Acts. Um Luke is tracing Jesus' Davidic ancestry through the prophet Nathan, right, rather than through King Solomon, as in Matthew. But so interesting there as we know because Jesus also the Davidic King, right? Um he's the rightly heir to the Davidic throne. So he is divine king, Davidic King, and Divine King. So we talked about it on Tuesday as well. Um so beautiful and so that's really the main focus, the main point of this genealogy here uh, is Lucas is tracing it back um to God. To stress Jesus' divine sonship. Um, and just so fitting. As we had just uh, went over yesterday.
0: On um, Tuesday. About. Jesus being. Davidic king. And divine king. As we read the. Nativity account. So any questions. there anything. That you want to share it out to you. Please feel free. If anything comes up, that's alright. We'll go ahead and end in prayer.